All right. Would you turn in your Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where we'll be taking our text from. Children's Church is dismissed. And as we get there, let's just pause and pray one more time. Ask the Lord's blessing on this time as we study His Word together. Father, we are grateful to be in Your presence this morning. Just even the fact that we can call You Father, what a privilege, Lord. What an awesome, awesome privilege. And Lord, as we just study Your Word this morning, we pray that by Your Spirit, and through Your Word, You would take this and God, you would help us to understand what it means to be a people of love, to understand the depth of love, to understand uh, the action that it requires. We pray for every soul that is hearing this today, Lord, that uh, you would work as only you're able to work in hearts. And we'll give you the praise right now for everything that you do because you and you alone, O oh Lord, are worthy of our praise. We thank you this morning just that we were able to sing with our voices and tell you how much that we love you through song, how privileged we are to do that. And we do look forward to a day when we all get to heaven. Lord, what a day that will be. We look forward to it. We long for it. We would cry out and say, even so, Lord Jesus, come quickly. And the church said, amen. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3 is where we'll take our text. And let me read that, and then we'll just kind of get into our message this morning. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, 1 through 3 says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. And may the Lord add to the reading of his word. Our message this morning is titled, A More Excellent Way. And, and we take that, that title from chapter 12, and you will remember last week we left off with that, that idea of spiritual gifts, and that he really lays out in chapter 12, the end of that chapter, he says that there are spiritual gifts and that there are spiritual gifts that are more important than others. And we talked about that we had, he says, first, there is apostles, and he said, second, there are prophets, and he said, secondly, uh, and then third, there are teachers or teachings. And he said, then he goes off and he lists all the other gifts, and we, we said that that was important because he was not listing them by number, but he was really listing them in their importance. And he lists those first three being apostles, prophets, and teachers, and we said that now for us that even simplifies things even more because there are no more apostles. The apostles died out with the last apostle. Uh, the prophets have died out, and it says that really, and the proof on this is that the Bible says that our doctrine is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And once a foundation is laid, there is no need to relay that foundation. What we do is we now build on that foundation. 
right? So we, we see that he left off with that, and he said, hey, and he says that if you're going to covet anything, if you're going to covet, if you're going to earnestly desire any of these gifts, right? And, and let me just kind of go back and, and read through those again. Verse 29 of chapter 12, it says, are all apostles, I'm, I'm sorry, let me back up at 28. And he said, some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after the miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, governments, diversities, tongues. And then he asked rhetorical questions. Are all apostles? No. Are all prophets? No. Do all speak in tongues? No. Uh, and, and, but he lists these in, in a hierarchy of order. And, and again, we're dealing with the teaching. He says, and earnestly desire that there be good teaching in the church. That's basically what he was saying. Not that you desire to be a teacher. He says, earnestly desire that the gift of teaching is evidenced in the body of Christ. But then what he ends with is this. He says, with all of that in mind and all of these gifts that are there, he says, even with that, I show you a more excellent way. And that is where we get the title this morning, that excellent way, and that's what we want to talk about, this excellent way. And in chapter 13, it introduces us to a more excellent way, which is love. This chapter of the Bible has probably been read more at more weddings than any other scripture in the Bible, right? It's constantly one of those that is read, you know, uh, that, you know, the, the dreamy-eyed groom and, and bride are looking at each other and they read this and it's talking about love. And that is certainly, certainly a great uh, scripture to read at a, at a wedding. But I don't want us to lose fact that it is important to remember that chapter 13 is sandwiched in between chapter 12 and chapter 14. And chapters 12, 13, and 14 are all, listen, all dealing with spiritual gifts. And so we can't just take chapter 13 out of context. Chapter 13 is in context with him teaching on spiritual gifts for the church. Just a month ago, I shared with you guys a message from Revelation chapter 2 and verses 1 through 4 where Christ admonished the church of Ephesus. You guys remember that, right? I think it was really kind of one of the turning points for us as a, a body of believers. And in that, we know that the Lord says, he says, listen, church, you've got the right doctrine. You hate sin. You know, you, you, you're a hardworking church. He says, but here's the problem that I have with you, Ephesus. You've left your first love. And, and we talked about how it's so easy for a church to really have the right doctrine. We can be doctrinally correct in every aspect. Uh, we can be a hard-working church in, in every area. Uh, you know, we can, we can do all of those things, and we can hate sin. And by the way, uh, sh we should, as a people, hate sin. Let me caveat that with this. We don't hate the sinner. We hate the sin. It's so important that we love the sinner so important that we love people who are lost and struggling. That's an absolute. But the Lord says, listen, church, you've, you've left that love. And he admonished him, he says, if you don't return to that love, basically, just in today's vernacular, he says, I'm out of here. I'm gone. So it was a very stern warning to the church that would be left Christless. Love is central 
to the gospel message, right? John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. And so it, this love is central to the gospel message. As a matter of fact, in John, uh, 1 John chapter 4, verse 16, it, it makes the very definition that God is love. It, you, we would not even know what it is to love except that God is love. And then further, he goes on to tell us the greatest commandment. You remember the story? He's asked, Lord, what's the great commandment? He says, here's the great commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So this is the first commandment and the greatest commandment. And he said, and the second is like an unto it, that you should love your neighbor as yourself. So Paul is not far off. As a matter of fact, Paul is spot on when he confronts the church of Corinth. And says, listen, you can have all the gifts. <laughs> you can have all the spiritual gifts. And, and you know as we studied through the scriptures that it says they lacked no spiritual gift. They had all the gifts. He says, but I want to show you a more excellent way. And that excellent way is love. Here we find that it's not just exercising the gifts of love, he's not even emphasizing that. He says, I'm not even emphasizing that you exercise the gifts in love. We don't want to miss the main point here. The main point is he is saying, you must be loving or nothing else matters. Nothing. That's important in our day, isn't it? You guys will remember the... Uh, the church, and I, I've referenced them, I think it's Westboro Baptist, not, not Westside. I had one of my old commanders write when he had heard I was pastoring, he goes, you're not that church that was, you know, and I said, no, no, that was Westboro, we're Westside. Westboro was that church that would show up to the funeral of veterans in protest all over the issue of homosexuality. I never quite figured all that stuff out. They would hold signs up saying very, very, just rude and nasty things toward uh, the homosexual community. Now let me be the first to say that homosexuality is a grievous sin. Can I get an amen to that? Yes? And, and we should not negate what the Bible says, but we also need to be able to love the homosexual. Just as we need to be able to love the adulterer, as we need to be able to love the thief. You see, Paul had written to this church and he says, as were some of you, but take note, as you once were, not as you are now. You see, I believe that Christ changes the life and hearts of men and women when they have a true relationship with him. So Paul says, I want to show you a more excellent way. And this morning, what we're going to focus on is we're going to focus on three different areas to kind of simplify this, three verses, three different areas, and here they are. Love exceeds spiritual gifts. And more importantly, let me give you the three. Love is more excellent than the speaking gifts. You remember we talked about the speaking gifts? Uh, love, second, is love is more excellent than the miraculous gifts. 
And finally, love is more excellent than serving gifts. It's a better way in each and every one of these, and we want to take the time to walk through them this morning and, and so that we have a good foundation for uh, this. Hopefully, uh, once we get through this chapter, which is going to take us a few weeks to get through the chapter, uh, but once we get through this chapter, you will never read 1 Corinthians uh, in the same way, that you will read it with a different understanding and more depth of what the Lord is telling us in this. So the first one there is love is more excellent than speaking gifts. Now the speaking gifts here, Paul in particular starts with this and he says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And so one of the first things that you and I need to understand when we talk about this speaking gift and why love is more excellent than that is that we need to have a definition of what love is, right? Uh, we in the American and U.S. English language, we really sometimes don't have a, a great breakdown of what love means, right? I mean, I can look at my wonderful bride up here of 38 years, and I can say, I love you, right? And she knows that I love her, uh, and, and, but I can also say, man, I would love to get some pizza on the way home. So we're using the same two words, but we're using them, and they mean two different things. My love for my wife is not the same as my love for pizza, it had better not be, right? Uh, I mean, that would be a bad thing. You, you, I, wouldn't have, I wouldn't have indigestion. I would have a headache if it were because she could probably ping me with a number 10 skillet, right? So here's the deal. We need to understand that what God says that there is a love here, and it's, it can be used in, in a lot of different ways. For, uh, fortunately for us, it tells us, and even in this word charity, it speaks something to it. But once I give you the definition, I'm just going to use the word love, and so you'll know what this love means. Love that the Bible is speaking of here. There are several, and you know just by hearing, and if you've been reading uh, your scriptures, if you've been a Christian for a minute, you know that there's a romantic love the Bible speaks about. Well, actually, the Bible doesn't even speak about romantic love. But that, there is a romantic love. That's, that's the love that between a man and a woman, a, a deep romance involved in that. And I think I told you about the time that my son-in-law, uh, you know, brought home, you know, a bouquet of flowers and a, and a card, and this is something I could see Michael doing uh, with Allie. And, and he'd, he'd just walk in with a card and, and some flowers and then actually opened up the card and it says, boom, romance, right? Well, that's not the way to go. Some of the women chuckled. The guy thought, well, what's wrong with that? You know? <laughs> but it's, it's getting past that. You know, it's that romantic thing. That's what the, you know, one of the words for love that we have. And, and then there's a brotherly love. There's that type of love that we have a, an affection for someone, a deep affection that we have for someone, uh, a, a brotherly, sisterly love. And, and then there's this, uh, that just kind of a I like you type of love. And then there's that love that the Bible speaks to in particular here, and it is this type of love. You know what it is? It's that agape love, right? It is that love that is, is a unique love that only God gives to us. Vine states it this way, a love that can only be known by the action that it prompts. Think about that. It's the type of love that can only be known by what it does. Didn't the Bible say it kind of this way, no greater love does any man have than this, that he would lay his life down for his friend. You see, that, that's a love that prompts an action. For God so 
loved the world that he what? Here's the love, here's the prompting, he does action, he gave. It is an unwarranted expression of care and concern. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, according to Romans 5.8. That's a love that says, listen, there was nothing warranted by us why Christ died for us. He loved us and he gave himself for us while we were still sinners. So that's the type of love that we're talking about when we read through this chapter. This is not a bride and a groom looking at each other, you know, thinking, oh man, this is, this is going to be so good. And, and No, no, this is about a sacrificial giving. It is about laying yourself down for somebody else. Let me read to you what further, just a quote, I think it was good to talk about Christian love. It says this, Christian love has God for its primary objective, object and expresses itself, first of all, in implicit obedience to the commandments. you grab that? Our love, this love that we're talking about here, first of all, is focused on God. That is the primary object of our love. As a matter of fact, if we're not willing to love God, it is going to be very hard to love people. Right? And he says, and that is shown, that love for him is shown in that we obey what he says. It is a self-will, or what it is not, it is not self-will, it is not self-pleasing. Christian love, whether exercised toward the brethren or toward men generally, is not an impulse from the feelings. It does not always run with natural inclinations, nor does it spend itself only on those for whom it has an affinity. Love seeks the welfare of all. It works no ill towards any. Love seeks opportunity to do good to all men, and especially to them that are of the household of faith. So when we talk about love from now on through the end of this chapter, I want you to keep that in mind. That's what we're talking about. That's the type of love that we're speaking about. Now, once we have that decided and we understand it, then Paul begins to really break down what it means to, uh, to love and how it exceeds that of the speaking gifts. And he says in there, he says, though I speak. Look again at verse 13. Some translations may be different. It could say this. It could say, if I speak. So when we look at though I speak, it may be saying if I speak. That's really what it can mean. It's like, if I were to speak with the tongues of men and angels. What this is not, this is not a proof text as some who have tried to use it to suggest that Paul wanted everyone to speak in tongues. Think back to Romans chapter 12, right? Because he asked the rhetorical question. He says, you know, he's, he's given these gifts. He says, but do all speak in tongues? What was the answer? No. So it can't be used as a proof text on that. And it's important that we see this here because there are going to be some little nuances here that Paul uses that we may not be familiar with today, but they would understand in his day. The, the church of Corinth would understand those things. So it's not a proof text that he wants everyone to speak in tongues. Paul is simply making the point that even if he did speak in the tongue of men and angels, if it is without love, it is pointless. 
It doesn't matter if I, I, I mean, I can get up here, I, I, and by the way, I can speak in tongues, right? I will prove it to you right now. Sawadi, Kunsabadi, Rukup, Pongchu, Chapsip Tree Jones, Pomben, Doiroi, he said, Chamai Cup. I just spoke to you in a known language. Now, it's not native to Alabama. You may have figured that out. But it is native to a place called Thailand. And if there was a Thai here, he could understand what I had just said. And that I had just introduced myself as a sergeant in the United States Army Special Forces. And I'd ask if there had been any, any enemy near this area. Now, that is the tongue, a known language. Paul said this, that when we talk about these gifts, the angels, he says, even if I could do that, he says, even if, if I spoke in languages of men and of angels, if I don't do it in love, it is pointless. I think it's also important to note here that Paul begins with tongues, where in chapter 12, it was the last in the order of the priority of the gifts. And we need to ask ourselves, why? why? Why was that the case? Well, it was the reason because, like today, that particular gift is one of the most misunderstood and misused gifts within the body of Christ today. And so he addresses it and wants it to make sure that they understand it. It was a gift, you remember, that everyone was able to see. You know, it's real easy if someone gets up and begins to speak in tongues. Everybody takes note. But what about the gift where nobody sees them serving? What about the dear ladies who have that heart of service who are back, you know, changing a nasty diaper, right? Nobody really sees that, but it is, is it any less important than one of the flashy showy gifts, right? You see where I'm coming from? I'm getting a lot of north-south there, that's good. As long as we're getting north-south and not east-west, and we're good, right? So he, he's trying to get that across to them. It was not one that everybody can see and that one that everybody could hear. It was not that uh, other people, if they saw that, it was one that other people would recognize. So he wants to address it. There is no mention, by the way, in the Bible that angels have their own spiritual language. Again, I, many times I have heard people come up and say, well, uh, you know, here, here's, here's what I believe and here's what it says. And I says, show me where it says that. And it comes back to it, say, well, somebody told me. And I have on many occasions say, somebody told you wrong. Because it's not what the scripture says. As a matter of fact, what we find in the Bible is that every time that we have a recording of an angel speaking to man, guess what language they are speaking? In the language of that people. So again, when we just reach up and, again, this is, that is what we call Isogesis, we're reading into the text rather than exegesis, reading out of the text. We need to read out of the text what it tells us, not read into the text for what we want it to tell us. Does that make sense? And so here we have just understanding that he says, even if, even if that were to happen, he says, this is hyperbole. Everything that he is speaking of he is, is hyperbole. He's using the, the most extreme case to try and get a point across. Of saying, even if I could speak with the eloquence of the greatest man on the earth, even if I could speak in angelic languages, if I don't speak in love, then it's pointless. 
And again, this was not wasted on the church of Corinth. They understood exactly where he was coming from because this was one of the questions that had been given to Paul to address. There had been those who had said, hey, here are the issues that we're facing in the church. How do we deal with this? And he's answering that question in chapter 13, saying it is an issue of love. It's an issue of expressing that love that we talked about. Even if Paul spoke with the eloquence of men and angels, without love, it is nothing. In New Testament times, there were rites honoring pagan deities. Sometimes you'll see it as Sybil, as Kybal, Bacchus, Diocinus. And these were deities that the Corinthian church was familiar with. And one of the things that would happen as they would go into their pagan worship is that there would be a point that they just worked themselves into a frenzy and, and there would be ecstatic speech. In other words, speaking and, and, and tongues that were usually gibberish. And it would be accompanied, check it out, with the clanging of cymbals, the clanging of gongs, and the blowing of trumpets. Now, just let that sink in, right? Now, we don't have really a whole lot of that going on around here. However, it is, even in America, those things happen, right? That you have that very same thing. People work themselves through, through trances, uh, through a lot of the New Age movement. A lot of the mysticism involves these very things, and uh, it is going on today. But for the Corinthian church, they understood that. The statement was not lost on his readers, it was the very culture that they had been called out of because they had been involved in that pagan ritual. They had been involved in the very same things that they were now trying to bring back into the church, and Paul doesn't want them to miss it. At very best, it was an imitation of pagan culture, and at worst, it was demonic activity within the body of Christ. You grab that? So Paul was saying, listen, even, look at, look at that verse again, he says, I am become, he says, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Now, a lot of people have said, well, that's just noise. Well, whatever you want to look at it as noise, that would be the very best. The very worst is it's the imitation of paganism that has crept its way into the church. But either way, his point is this, it's useless. It's no good. Speaking without love is no good at all. I heard um, Alistair Begg not talking on this subject, but saying this concerning teaching about kind of pastoral roles and responsibilities and for the church to understand that and saying, listen, the way that you know that I love you as a congregation is when I preach the truth faithfully each week. Amen. That's the way you know that I love you, not whether I get by to see everybody, Right? but whether I preach the word to you faithfully and in truth. The day that I quit doing that, as Beg, Alistair Begg has said, is the day that you know I don't love you. Now, the gift of prophecy, he says as well, look at verse 2, and he says, And though I have the gift of prophecy, understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that 
I can remove mountains and, 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 not, and, and have not charity, I am nothing. So let's just talk about further on the speaking gifts. He says there, there's kind of a, 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 kind of a shift. Um, many wanted to, to exercise those gifts because of their overt nature. You know, the guy that gets up and speaks, everybody looks and says, man, that's, that's great. Look at him. That's what I want to do because I, I want that. Listen, uh, anybody that, that enters into the mystery, you, you need to, or not the mystery, anybody that enters into the ministry, you need to understand that, that it comes with a weight. It, it comes with a heaviness. It comes with a reality that, that this very message that I am preaching to you today, I will stand before the Lord of lords and the King of kings and I will give an account for my teaching you today. Amen. And so it's not all flash. And there are those who enter the ministry for that reason, for the flashiness of it, for the money, uh, for the lucre, for, for the recognition. And then we need to stare away from them. The Bible says that they're wolves in sheep's clothing out to, you know, fleece the flock. But he says in this gift, he says, understanding all mysteries. Note there, don't, don't miss the little wording. I, I say all the time to us as a church, God does not waste words. And so when he puts a word in the Bible, it has importance to it. And so when he says, even if I could understand not just some mysteries, not just a few mysteries, he says, even if I could understand all mysteries, if I could understand every mystery that there is, and he further he says, and if I could understand every bit of knowledge that there is, if I had all the knowledge in the world, if I understood everything about creation, if I understood everything about the Creator, he says, even with all of that added to my preaching, he says, if I do all of that and I do it without love, it means nothing. You see, it is very possible for people to get up and to speak the truth of God's word and not do it in love. And it becomes useless to them. Now I will say this, the Bible says that God's word never returns void. Right? He can have somebody speaking the word of God, and they may not even believe what they're saying, but God can use that in order to bring glory to himself. But I will say this, it is a bad place to be for those who would have the ability to preach. But if they don't do it for the purpose of loving God and loving people, it is no good at all. There's a fellow out of the Bible that we know from the Old Testament by the name of Jonah. You guys remember him, right? Jonah gave, uh, God gave Jonah a message, and he told him, he says, I want you to go to the people of Nineveh. Uh, Jonah did not want to go to the people of Nineveh because if he went to the people of Nineveh, here's what he was afraid of. He was afraid of that God would actually do what he wanted them to do. Now I'm going to bring this into our next point in a moment, but I just want you to realize that he had the ability to speak the word. He had the knowledge to speak the word, and yet he had no love for them. We know the story that he went in, he preached to them, they responded to the message to the point where they sackcloth and ashes even on the animals and they repented of their sin. And by the way, if you're a skeptic about the Bible, I happened to be in the province of Nineveh back in 2006 and 2007 in a little country called Iraq. And even my interpreters knew who Jonah was. They called him Eunice and they said, oh yeah, Eunice, we know all about Eunice. 
not a myth as we were talking in our Sunday school class today. It's a historical fact that he was there. So as we look at this, again, without love, it's nothing. Nothing. Point number two. I'll be a little quicker on these. Point number two. Love is more excellent than miraculous gifts. The verse 2 there at the end of it, he says, uh, says, uh, and though I have all faith, again, note that, all faith, not just some faith, all faith, so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Faith in God, that's really the faith that we're talking about. It is a faith in the Lord's ability to do anything without love, is worthless. You see, going back to Jonah, Jonah's that great example. He believed that God would save those people. He believed it. And yet, he didn't want to go. And he went as a reluctant prophet. He preached to them, and we know that he was even sad over the fact that they had repented. Now, God's word went out, and it had the desired effect. But you know what that accomplished in the life of Jonah? Nothing. Nothing. And he would even stand before the Lord and, and, and say, but Lord, when it come time for reward and say, Lord, you know, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, remember that? We preached through that, that we're going to stand before the Lord at the beam of seat of Christ and give an account for the things that he's given us to do. Some will get, you know, gold, silver, precious stone. It will stand the test of fire. Some that have done nothing or with the wrong motives, we're talking Christians, it will be burned up and it says they'll enter heaven as one escaping through the flames. Right? But there's no reward. That's a picture of Jonah here. He, he, he did what was right, but he did it with the wrong motive. And you know what the Lord says? You know what your reward in that is? Nothing. A big goose egg. And, and so it, you, can, you can be a person who has all the faith in God you want. You can believe that God can do everything doctrinally out of the Bible that He says that He can and will do. And yet, if you're not a loving person, even believing the very truths that God has laid out for us, He says it profits you nothing. That's a stern warning, isn't it? It it kind of turns this thing about love on, on its head. Again, it comes back, you remember we were talking about the church of Ephesus. He says, your doctrine's right. You know, your hatred for sin is right. Your works are right, but you're doing it just out of duty, not out of love. And we've got to get to the point where we just don't do things out of duty and habit habit and tradition, and we do it out of love for it to really count. That's the point he's trying to make here. It, It... It's more, love is more excellent than any miraculous gift you would ever see. And then last, we'll close it up with this. Love is more excellent than serving gifts. Look at verse uh, verse 3. And he says, And though I bestow all my goods to feed to the poor, And though I give my body to be burned and have not love, it profits me nothing. 
Now, why do we classify this as a serving gift? Well, giving to the poor. You know, isn't it amazing, too? I'll just kind of, I'm not going to go too far down this, this rabbit trail. But isn't it amazing sometimes that the, the gifts that people want are those flashy gifts, and you say, well, why don't you pray that God uh, would, give, would give you the gift of giving? <laughs> right? What? What? What did you say? Gift of giving? Yeah, it's one of the gifts. How, how about this, that, that he would give you the gift of ministering? Well, no, no, I want the flashy gift. Well, we've already covered that, right? We don't decide what we gift we get. God's the one who decides what gifts we get. But again, it comes down to this, and he says, look, it, it, it doesn't matter if you gave every single penny you had to the poor. If you don't do it out of the right motive, it means absolutely nothing. Let me just put it to you like this. It would be like the Lord sitting back and saying this, just to paraphrase in today's world, saying, I don't care what you've given, if you haven't done it out of a love for me and a love for mankind, I'm not impressed. Not impressed. You know, we can, we can, we've got, some, we got uh, some stuff that's going on and people have given toward that, and I thank the Lord that they've given toward that. But for all of us, it needs to be a reminder for every single one of us, when we give, when we serve, whatever we do, it is to be done because we love God and we love people. Because if we don't, it's a big goose egg. And even to the point, he says, that I would give myself to be burned. In other words, martyred. You know, there, there are people that, you know, when, when folks go off and, and do some crazy things, you know, and cults have done that. You know, the, even a guy that, you know, carried my name, Jim Jones, did some crazy things, right? A few years back when the people all dressed up in purple and Nike tennis shoes, I think, and, you know, over the comment, they did some crazy things. But I'm going to tell you what, there are some people in churches today who like to self-sacrifice for the purpose of feeling good about themselves, and they have lost their reward because it was not about a love for God. It was about a love for themselves. And Paul says this, I don't care if you've given everything you have to the poor. I don't care how much service you do. I don't care if you're in the church when the doors open and when the doors close and even you're waiting there to, to come in when, when it's not even open. I don't care if you don't love God, it means nothing. It's a stern teaching for us that you and I should heed this message that while we could have every spiritual gift, even as the church of Corinth had, if we don't love God, and we don't love one another, and we don't love our community and the lost, then we're just spinning our wheels in this life. And what a sad thing it will be that if we get to the end of life, and all the things that we've done is for self-identification rather than glorification of the Lord, and he says, you can come in because you know my son, but you got nothing else. It'd be a sad day, wouldn't it? And the great thing is, is it can begin today. And I would encourage all of us today to say in this, first of all, 
If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, the Bible says, behold, today is the day of salvation. And folks, I'm telling you, this old world is winding down, right? It is. And no matter what, even if you don't believe that, say, oh, I've been hearing that forever. Well, I guarantee you this, you're one day closer to meeting your Savior. Right? I guarantee that. And there's no guarantees that we'll be here next week. So the time to say and decide whether you're a follower of Christ now and say, Lord, forgive me for the things that I have done in my own self-interest. God, forgive me for that. From now on, I want to serve you with your help. I will do that. And if you don't know Christ, I will tell you this, today is the day. I want to close with this very quickly. And I debated on whether I was going to even throw it out. I think I told our life group about it uh, some time back. It's about a young man uh, who was a designer. Uh, and I'm not going to go in detail about it. Listen to his testimony on the radio. Uh, he came out of the homosexual community. Uh, long story short, man, he had been at the top. He was running around with all the right people. I mean, Jay-Z and, and all the other designers. And I mean, uh, talked about hanging out with Marilyn Streep and all, you know, just the, the beautiful people. You know what I mean? And, but he reached at a point, he was at a, at a party in Paris, in, in Paris uh, France. I almost said Paris, Texas. That wouldn't be very much, would it? In Paris, France. And, and he, he was sitting there, he said, over a glass of champagne, and he thought, is this it? Is this all life is? I've reached the top, and I'm empty. Long story short, he goes back to Los Angeles. He's sitting around uh, with, a, with a, a friend of his. They're having dinner at an outside restaurant, and they look over, and there's a bunch of young people, and they have their Bibles out on their tables, and they're talking about Christ. And uh, through the nudging of a friend, he says, hey, man, ask them if they're Christians. And so he says, are you Christians? And he, they said, yes, we are. And they shared with them the gospel. He says, well, tell me what it is to be a Christian. He, says, I was, he was really interested. I didn't know. He said, I was really interested in what it meant to be a Christian. And they told him. And he said, then I asked the $100 million question. He goes, what does God say about homosexuality? And he said, and they told me the truth. But they told it in love. And then they invited me to church. And he said, I found myself getting up the next day and going to church. He said, I couldn't believe that I was even going, but I got there. Again, I'm rushing through this story, but I'm saying this for a reason. He got, he got to the church. He heard the message. He heard the preaching. He says, it was God speaking to his heart, speaking to him over his sin, speaking to him over the love that Christ had for him, speaking to him over the love God the Father had and sending the Son to die for his sin. And he says, at the end of the service, he says, a group of people got up and stood on the side. And he said, there are people here who will pray with you today. And he says, I got up and found myself just drawn that I, I wanted somebody to pray for me. I said, I didn't even understand what praying was about. And he said, I went to a man and he said, he put his arms around me and he prayed for me. And he says, I was amazed because here was this man praying for me. And he said, I sensed such love out of a total stranger who didn't know me. He says, but his heart just poured out love as he prayed for me. He said, I went back to my seat, and they played music more, and he says, and I just wept over my sin. I wept over the fact that God loved me and had forgiven me. And he says, because I finally understood where I belonged, and I finally understood what love was. Now, folks, that's, if you don't remember anything else, remember that today. That's what we need to be as a people a loving people, that when we throw our arms around somebody, we don't bring condemnation, we bring the love of Christ. 
Amen. Just stand on your feet. Brad. If you need to pray, there are people here who would love to pray with you. And as we just dismiss this with our song today as Brad leads us, if you want to pray with me, you want to pray with one of our deacons, one of our ladies, hey, we're here to pray with you.